Hustle Island. What's up, hustlers? Hustle Island podcast, episode number seven, Real Hustlers, Real Stories. Today, our guest is going to be talking about family, music, upstate New York, and living a holistic lifestyle. Hustle Island, we're going green today with Live Green's own Jay Gelfand. Welcome to the program. What's up, Jay? Happy Halloween, my friend. Batman. (laughs) You know what they say, you know? Be like Batman, and if you can't, just be Batman. Trick or treat. Let's Please. talk about Halloween, man. What does it mean to you? You got the costume on. I love it. Batman. Uh, Batman um, and Robin. Yeah, you and I talked about my philosophy about Batman. And it's funny because um, growing up, my nephews, the only gifts I ever gave them were about Batman from the time they were a baby. And I told them that growing up, when you figure out why, then you can tell me if you still want me to give them to you. And all three of them to this day, all they get is Batman. They're all in their 20s now. And that's because finally each one of them, somewhere between the age of 10 and 13, realized that Batman was not a superhero. Batman is a man who does everything, mind, body, and soul, to the best of his abilities with no fear of loss or failure. Realizing the fact that every time he failed, it was just closer to success each and every time. Hence why Batman could beat Superman or any other hero because he studies nonstop what it takes to win and will not quit. And I think that's a great lesson that we learn in hustlers, entrepreneurs in life. You got to believe. I'm with you on that one. You got to believe. You got to learn from experiences, successes and failures as hustlers. Our days are ups and downs, smiles and cries. It's like a roller coaster. They're and you really, have to learn from each experience. Let me you know, ask you this. Before you ask me, you look at the four, what I call the four pillars of the hustle, hustle Island. Okay. We have hustle. We have believe. We have patience. And we have legacy. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And we have legacy. And I bought all four shirts first time just bought them all I just had to have them all I wear them equally I love the comments I get about each one and then when I tell people when they look at it I said why don't you actually read the shirt I said oh I can read it It says patience it says believe I said no get closer now read it all of a sudden they start reading all the smaller words within each one of those and I'll tell you what that's what makes all of us here at Hustle Island complete because we realize that there is a bigger picture to everything. And Absolutely. You got to think big as a hustler. You got to, sometimes they say, you got to think outside the box. I mean, sometimes I like to say, think like there is no box if you're a hustler. 100%. Why are we going to think outside the box? If we're thinking outside the box, we may be forgetting what's inside the box. Instead Absolutely. Of holistically at everything. That's the theme for today. Holistic thinking, a holistic lifestyle, living green. I want to talk to you about your upbringing, your childhood. You told me the story about your nephews and the whole Batman uh, analogy there and teaching them life lessons through that superhero. What advice did you hear during your upbringing as a child? Um, Wow. My father was a great influence on my life. Uh, He was a hustler. Um, owned Jewish restaurants in New York, also ran a trucking route in the morning before he opened 
the restaurant. He went and delivered all the salads and knishes and all to all the other local restaurants. So it was pretty cool how he was literally wholesaling out the stuff he made for his own restaurant. At the same time, we were retailing in the restaurant. And um, so at four years old, he had me setting tables. And if I did it wrong, he'd make me do it again. And it had to be exactly right. Everything had to be on the table, the right place. And, you know, when I get frustrated, he'd look at me and say, if you don't have time to do it the right time, when will you have time? I like that. And I like that. How many people out there say, I just don't have enough time for that? All the time. Yes, and you're absolutely right about that. The answer is, if you look at it, the only true currency there is in the world is time. Yes. You know, they say they, every day we have 86,400 seconds out there. Wow. What are we doing with that? What are we doing with that time? Every second that ticks, are we wasting it? It's like if we had that amount of money in the bank, and I've seen this before in different quotes yeah. and stuff on the internet. If we had that money in the bank, would we be just throwing it out, just throwing it in the winds? Absolutely not. Every dollar would be so precious to us. Back to your upbringing, your dad being a hustler, it's got to be in your blood, I would say. I would say so. Uh, another fam well, famous saying. Another saying he always said was, it is what it is. So make it the best. Why not? It, it, it. If you're not giving anything but your best, if you're not reaching for the sky, the stars, the moon, what are we doing here as hustlers? We're not. And it's not just for hustlers. I'm talking about just in life. You look at it, you know, in kids, you coach. You know, I've coached in the past. Um, my friends, everyone around is always like, why are you always smiling? I said, well, I'm lazy. I 17 muscles smile, 43 to frown. I'm just not going to work so hard. The real reason is because I just see the positive in everything I can. It's the way I was raised. It's the way I raised my, my daughter. And it's the way my friends, those who are close to me, all have the same type of menta mentality. You know, we've all heard about positive mental attitude, PMA, personal growth and development. But it's something we start as a kid. You know, I'd say, if I can say the most the one, the one saying that anyone who knows me would say that I stand by, and that's words of Teddy Roosevelt. And it's on my Facebook page. It says, people don't care how, you, how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, I take that as the start of my life every day. Every day I sit there and I thank God that I'm waking up and I'm not looking up at roots, that I'm alive on this side of the ground. At that point, it's what I decide. It's not what occurs to me. It's how my perception of that is and where I want to go with it. That's awesome, man. I um, truly live a, a, a positive lifestyle. Every day that I start, you know, I, I pray and I thank the Lord for another day. And that's not easy to do. Like people are like, why are you so positive? It's like, no, that, that takes time and it takes work. And seeing every day as a blessing um, – not being negative because there's a lot of negativity out there every day. We're faced with some type of negativity. You turn on that tube box, you turn on CNN, Fox news. I don't care whatever news you're watching. <laughs> and it is just filled with negativity. And it's just like, wow, wow. We're just, they're just polluting our minds. 
And then when they see a person like myself or you being so positive, people are just like, it's infectious. It is. It, it, or it is contagious. That's what the word I want to use. It's contagious. And people are like, wow, like that's people I want to be around. That's why I was like, man, this podcast is going to be special because you got a positive spirit, a positive mentality. I do too. Living green. I want to learn more about that. I think I try my best to live green. I told you before we did this that, you know, I uh, live a pescatarian lifestyle where it's mostly, my diet is mostly plant-based and I eat fish and I, we had a discussion about fish and all the different types of fish that you can eat. And we'll get there to talk about diet and variety and all that stuff. But living a positive lifestyle is, is not an easy thing and it just doesn't happen overnight. Um, what are some of like, what's your daily routine? My daily routine. Uh, the first thing I would say of the day that I know is I wake up. And when I say I wake up, most people awaken, but I don't believe that they've woken up. In other words, oh, God, another Monday. I hate Mondays. How can you hate any day of the week? You wake up, it's a blessing. It's better than the people who go to sleep and don't wake up the next day. And so if you look at every breath you take, as something that it's a possibility that that may be your last breath, you have two choices. You can look down all the time, you can look up at it. I find the only time I'm looking down is when I'm tying my shoes, looking at the ground in front of me, speaking to the mic or the computer here. But aside from that, my attitude is always going forward and going up. You know? Um, you determine your entire day usually uh, by the first 18 minutes of thought you have. 18 is a very biblical number in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. The 18th letter is Chai, C-H-A-I. Most people know that means life. So I start my day off with 18 minutes of positive thinking, be it reading, listening to tapes. Um, everyone who knows me through Facebook knows that I put up two quotes a day, five, six, seven days a week. And they usually do it in the morning. And it's because I wake up and I start reading quotes out of books online I look for anything that just hits me. And the two quotes that I want to remember later on during the day, I put on my Facebook page so I can read, go back to them and just see them in a flash. What I love is how some people say, I really needed to see that quote today. Uh, that really had an effect on me. And, or whatever, whatever else they want to say about them. And it's funny because sometimes people bicker over it and I laugh and I said, listen, guys, the reasons that you're looking at it is not the reason I posted it. So take the positive end of everything that I do with that. And it's that even started rewind. So I've been putting these two quotes up on Facebook for years since I first been on Facebook. Before that, I was doing an email. It was called a positive way thoughts for the day. I like that. And really it's just, if I used to go to a lot of speakers, so Les Brown, Mark Victor Hansen, Brian Tracy, uh, Jim Rohn, and Tony Robbins' mentor, uh, Connie Podesta, all of them, when I asked how they start their day, in one, in one way or another, they started out with the number 18. And it was plug yourself in for 18 minutes. If you start your day off with positive input to start your day, the odds of you having a great day are that much higher in your favor. Listen, things happen can't stop things from happening in the world, but you can have a total effect once again on how you perceive those things to be. 
I love that. I love that too about you sharing quotes. That's something I do on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I like to uh, post quotes that I hear and that that I read, that I hear in some motivational talks that I listen to. I was actually listening to Les Brown the other day and he's one of the best. I mean, he's, he's probably one of my favorites. Uh, Love Zig Ziglar. My favorite Zig Ziglar quote is there is no elevator to success. You must take the stairs. Absolutely. Now, of course, the good thing about taking the stairs is once you're comfortable, you can jump two at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that one. I'm going to have to use that. You can jump two at a time. I like that. But I, I like that quote because, man, it's hard out there. It's, it's hard to get that positive mind frame. It's hard really? to go from A to B. Yeah, I think so. You don't think so? Um, I mean, th- I, I mean, I mean, See, I think I well, let me ask you. Really? You think so? But there's, but there had to have been a negative point in your life where things were tough and things were hard. And I mean, it's, it's sometimes you, it's just human natural tendency where we play the victim card. It happens. It's part of life. It does happen. So now if you can ask me, do I never have down days? I think that would be inhumane. As I said, even Batman has down days. So Absolutely. You have to look for the positive of it. So a simple exercise, once again, I mentioned it earlier about the muscles in your face. So it takes 17 muscles to just form a natural smile. Now, Mac, you're always smiling. I don't think anyone has seen you not smile. So right now what I want you to do is put a frown on your face. I can't. Please, go ahead. And I will. Try it. Here we go. Here we go. Frown. How does it feel? Make a frown with intention, and how does it feel? It sucks. It you sucks. Know, it's, it it's hurts just, a you know, doesn't it? Yeah, like trying to do it. it. Like it's just not a good feeling. When I smile, I feel like I'm working those big muscles in my face, and it's going to keep me looking young too. Yeah. So, yeah, I just find that it's if, – if our bodies are telling us to smile because it's the natural thing to do, then don't force it the other way around. You know, if you're really tired and you just don't feel like doing anything, having a, even just a slightly upturn in your, in your, in your lips, um, science says that it releases endorphins. As I'm sitting here trying to do that frown a few seconds ago with you, I felt like my whole body was coming down. Yeah, me too. Like this, it was just like a, a, an energy vampire, just yeah. like sucking the life out of the room and out of the conversation. It just sucks. <laughs> It's so, an awful feeling. It is an awful feeling, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like positivity, it, it just brings so much energy into the universe, into the atmosphere. I mean, we're in two different locations right now, but yeah, we can see each other, but you can hear my positivity through my voice. Absolutely. Like if I was down and out and just like, oh, hey, Jay, and welcome to the Hustle Island podcast. Um, we're just going to just have a discussion I'm about hustling. I'm really happy and, here. You know? it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be painful for the both of us. It would be. You know, this thing would last about seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would last very long at all. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we gotta, we gotta go, hustlers. Listen, the, the reality is that we all encompass, and you just to say we all have our source. We all have our shit. Okay? But once again, it's how do we deal with it? It's really our determination of it. And as a kid, I had a lot of challenges. Um, I had a speech impediment. I had a 
my right leg in a brace because my leg was turned in when I was a child. I started walking at six months. I never crawled. Wow. And my parents found that my feet weren't going the way that they're supposed to. So the first wow. time I crawled was when I was about two and a half years old after my sister was born and she started crawling. That's when I started crawling with her. <laughs> Just because she was crawling, you're like, all right, I guess that's the thing to yeah. do. You know, so I had a conversation uh, about this, I don't know, my dad passed a year ago, but a little before he passed and we were talking about it and I, I, we never discussed about the leg brace and one day we're talking and I just popped in my head and said, dad, why do I remember wearing a leg brace on my leg? He goes, I can't remember that. You were too young. There's no pictures of it. And I said, for some reason, it's just in my mind right now. We just talked about it. He goes, yeah, we put that thing on you and the doctor said how long it would take and supposed to be like you know, six months or something like that. A month or two after you're wearing it, they took it off you already. And it was because I was working through it. I had a speech impediment. All right. They brought in a speech pathologist. And um, I think I was supposed to be doing it when I was from five to seven. And once again, another year goes by and they stopped that. Uh, I just figured if I'm supposed to learn something, I'm going to do everything full out, a la the Batman, mind, body, and soul. And if I don't succeed, well, it's just another step on the right way. You know? what's, that, what's that inside of you that, that gives you that drive to get out of those braces or out of the brace um, to start walking at six months? Like, what do you think that drive is? I think that um, we all have that drive. I think that you mentioned about the, you know, a lot of people have a lot of negativity. And unfortunately, statistics show that for every positive enforcement the child has up until the age of three they hear 144 negative reinforcements so maybe i was lucky maybe my parents just uh did the right thing you know uh all i know is from the time i was able to get up and move it was constantly do something do something do something and if i did something i wasn't supposed to i was punished and i learned from it i never did it again but I exceeded the limits of what someone else thought. I was rewarded even greater. In which way? How would they reward you? Depending upon what I did. Give me an example. Um, I'll go back to setting tables in my dad's restaurant. I'm four years old. And at first, it was like fun because I'm a kid. Until my dad started making me do it specifically the way it's supposed to be done. And all of a sudden, I was getting paid to do it. I said, okay, for every table you do right, we give you a penny. And this is going back in the early 60s. You know, I just turned 60. Um, and then um, we'll take you down to the soda, uh, soda place down the block and buy you comic books. So the equation for me for doing better meant I was getting more money, which meant I was buying more comic books. The hustle mentality. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Doing it right. You know, and if I didn't do it right, my dad took money away. So it was lessons in life. You're from New York, right? I'm from New York, born in Brooklyn, raised out on Long Island, and then eventually upstate in the mountains. Spent a lot of time in Connecticut, too. 
But um, yeah, I, I you know. Do you think that environment growing up in New York and Long Island, Strong Island, as some call it, helped in your upbringing and help you develop that drive and helped you in what you are today? Because you're a quick learner, and we're going to touch on some stuff very quickly in, in the next couple of questions. Okay. Uh, so um, I think that wherever you are is wherever you are. As my dad said, it is what it is. So... I was lucky that a my parents had great friends. We had great neighbors. Um, back in those days, obviously we didn't have cell phones and stuff like that. So kids played in the street freely. You know, you knew it was time to go home when the first light pole started turning on. You know, uh, every parent on the block you respected by calling them aunt and uncle, and they could discipline you as well as your parents did because your parents had gave them the right to do that. You know, um, but it also taught you a lot of other things growing up in New York. Um, watching someone get picked on by people who are bigger than him led me to run in and try to uh, stop it from occurring. And I try to talk my way through it and help the kid out. But if worse comes to worse, at that point, I would jump into the fight also, just doing the right thing. Um, I don't know going back if the violence was the right answer, but I sure know that the kid who I helped out of it was very thankful that I did. Well, I was about to say that's like twofold. Like, all right, you're jumping in to help someone, you know, that person who couldn't defend himself and you, you're there just as a, a bystander. It's either you have, you have a choice, either you help or you don't do anything. And there's a lot of people out there who just watch instead of jumping in. I don't remember the specific quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but um, those who watch evil occur are actually performing the same evil deed. I'm not sure. Who's, ah, God almighty. Of all times, from that too, one of my books. <laughs> but, that but sounds then, familiar. So I've heard that before, though. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that. If you're watching something wrong and you don't do something about it, it's just the same thing as committing the same problem. Absolutely. You're encouraging it. So, you know, I guess throughout my life, I've just always had a lot of positive influences. I would my say. Parents, my neighbors, my teachers. Um, we discussed about the fact that um, as a kid growing up, my dad was left-handed, my mom was right-handed. So I did everything as a child with both hands. And my parents encouraged it. So whether it be crayons or learning letters, numbers, whatever, to me it was a game playing with both hands. And all that was fine until second grade, when in New York City, the teacher didn't like the fact that I was A, B, C on separate lines with, uh, with each hand, and then I would alternate letters or whatever, and she didn't like that. So she took my left hand and tied it behind my back. Education, huh? Put the first road ever encompassed in my life in front of me. Think about that. I, I would say so. That's what happens. I, I think... We can sit here and talk about education in school, and I think they put roadblocks up. Um, I think they got to be enable people to, well, to 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 learn like outside the box. We just talked about earlier. They need people to be like free thinkers. Um, I think they allow people to experience. It's a higher education, obviously, but I think even at like the the younger levels, elementary, um, middle school. 
I, I think we they in a lot of areas they they teach to a test. Um, they follow a certain curriculum where I think they uh, should just maybe have different guidelines. And I mean, this could be a, a deeper conversation, but I, I think it's, I think you see it more like homeschooling. It's just a different type of ed- education. I think that the, the concept of standardized schooling has its merits to a point. And I agree. And the concepts of the Montessori system or the whole schooling system or anything else, they all have their merits. What would be really cool is if we learned to put it all together and let's not limit education. So, That's the word. You know, I was very lucky, I guess, because I was one of those kids that was lucky enough to have an aunt who was the editor for Harker Brace Janovich who wrote the Bright Horizons elementary school readers we had. So I would read the teacher's editions the summer before every year. Then I wait to learn what the teacher was gonna teach me on top of the book. Wow. Because I would do things like that, the teachers were not used to having a kid who would do that. So that made me stand out in certain ways. And my best teachers, the ones I remember the most fondly, are the ones who found other things for me to do on top of my schoolwork. Call it extra credit projects, call it whatever you want, but they were willing to challenge me intellectually as a child, as a student. That's what I was gonna say. I think it, it all comes down to challenging someone's intellect, pushing them beyond the normal standards of being like, all right, here's your uh, assignment, You know, continue to challenge them. And I think that that needs to be twofold where you have to give empower students if they come in and they're like, well, I, I disagree with you on that topic. You let them allow, allow them to have an opinion. I mean, that's America in a nutshell. You know, that's, I mean, that we can go deep into this, you know, deeper into that whole thing. And well, I that's don't know how much time we have, but we can. Called, that's what's called debate. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's, a, there's a difference between an argument and a controlled debate. But I believe that really, uh, once again, if you want to go back to what we started with, with positivity, I was raised with the attitude that if I truly believed in something, if I wanted something changed, my dad said, prove it. You want to do something differently than the way it's being done, show me how your way is better. Challenge. That's the challenge. Continue to challenge. Challenge people. That's what we need in life. That's what we need in education. That's what we need in the schools. Let's continue to move on here. Um, we talk about your mom. Well, we're going to get to Hassan. Talk about your mom. You, you haven't really brought her up. How has she influenced your life? So my mom was, well, my dad was a workaholic. My mom was the person who was taking care of the home, taking care of us, working in the restaurant with my dad. So teaching us things so they each had a a sort of life that they were better at. And they they were an incredible couple together, so I'm really proud of that. Um, She encouraged the more artistic side of me. My father at one time was a musician. He didn't want me to have anything to do with it. My mother said he loves music, let him do it. Um, My mom was a lot of fun. She was the one, actually, it's funny, while my dad was in the restaurant, my mom was playing catch with me. Now, I went to a basketball court, but mom was nowhere near the basketball court. My dad was with me. 
but they each just played their way. And, you know, unfortunately, my mom passed nine years ago. My dad just passed a year ago. So um, my most recent memories, of course, were with him. And the stories that he told me the last few years in sharing his life and his memories of me as a child, things that I didn't remember. Very few of us really remember a lot before we're about eight years old. Um, and I had a lot of memories of it, but I just couldn't put them all together, and he would help me piece them together. Um, my mom was a great cook. So I started cooking for the family when I was eight years old because I was in the kitchen with her. I was in the restaurant also. So, yeah, it was just uh, I feel that I was really blessed just to have two very loving parents, uh, forward-thinking parents, forward-thinking enough where uh, they – we're planning on taking me to Woodstock with them. I and love that. When I watched the movie, I actually see their camper. Uh, however, when we got there, I was running a high fever, so they paid someone to drive me home because they realized the fact that Woodstock was not the best place for me at that time. Two years Being later, my dad made it up by taking me to my first concert was Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath. Crazy stuff. After he took me to jazz concerts, after he took me to orchestra concerts, ballets, but... Uh, it was just always, they were very forward-thinking. And I credit them a lot for my success, my successes in life, um, for allowing me to fail. And never just, you know, if you fail, get back on your bike, start over again. If you didn't do this right, go back and do it again. And uh, they worked well as a team. So, yeah, I made it through school, um, made it through working through all my years of school. Um, yeah, I'd say my parents actually had me working, like I said, from the time I was four years old setting tables, eight years old I was cutting meats, uh, nine years old we moved out to Long Island. Um, Dad taught me to drive a tractor. That was really exciting for a kid, being able to get on a tractor and drive it myself. I bet. Now, let's talk about our common denominator. Uh, upstate New York. Yes. When you, hear about, when you hear upstate New York, what are the first things that pop into your head? Paradise. Except it's too cold. But it is cold. About nine months a year. But if you, my concept is funny. You, I, I know you laughed when I said this, but if I could sit there and create utopia, I would take the Catskill Mountain Range area, just pick it up, plop it right on top of South Florida, and I'd be living in paradise because the sound of the running streams is going through the mountains, through the woods, the echo of all the different things in nature and animals in nature and birds. Uh, you ever go and just sit in the mountains and listen. And if you listen during the winter, you don't hear it. So it has to be when everything's a bloom. And you just hear music and everything that's there. So to me, that's very inspiring. You know, the taste of the air. Um, I'm sure you remember like I did when you'd go to a running stream and you knew that by the bottom of the stream, if it was running over a bunch of rocks, that's where you'd be drinking your water because it was clean. Uh, you could live off of leaves and berries and things you find in the, in the woods. But really, I just enjoyed the fact that, and to this day, the reason why I live where I do here in Coconut Creek uh, 
is because there are wooded areas where I can just go sit and be in, na- in nature, feel the energy of everything around me. You know? How awesome is that, being in nature? Yeah, I mean, it's really it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to ground ourselves on a daily basis. Our bodies are bioelectrically, magnetically held together. You know, we the old saying, we're 70% uh, water, 30% solid compounds, and that could be give or take whatever percentage you want, but that's the round numbers most people use. What holds it all together? Bioelectric magnetic energy. And we are at one with the earth. And to the live green side of me, when we start to pollute the earth, when we start to pollute our bodies, things start working against the way that nature intended. You form disease in nature, you watch things die. In our bodies, same thing. So I love the woods. I love the fact that I can sit there and hug a tree. Um, when I do my Qigong and Tai Chi, actually one of the movements involves the same positioning of holding a tree. And I find it very interesting. And then I go do it out in the woods and just the feeling that I get of being recharged. It's pretty amazing. You know, we all hear it about, you know, ground yourself on a daily basis, walk on the ground, touch a tree. There's got to be a reason. It's all about balance. I tell you what, tonight after this podcast, I'm going walking outside because where, where I'm at right now in Florida, it is gorgeous outside. Mm-hmm. And I might take my shoes off and walk in the grass. And you, where you are is, let's see, right now down by me, it is 78 degrees. You're in North Florida, so you're probably where low 70s or high 60s? Yeah, I want to say it's probably like 70 degrees, Yeah, which is it's gorgeous, unbelievable. Yeah. And you just so got to take it in. offense to all of our friends who are anywhere north of here, not living in the tropical belt we're in. But uh, I can tell you that if I never see snow again, it'll be too soon. There's a reason why there's so much more depression in the northern states, especially in the northeast and uh, northwest United States, than there is in the warmer climates. It's because we get more vitamin A just by soaking in sun. Uh, we're not bundled up, which is restricting our bodies. You know, I mean, I love the fact that. My daughter made a comment to me that with her job, she loves the fact that, Dad, you're so right. It's so cool being able to wear just a T-shirt and jeans and work. It's so much freer than wearing the whole suit, you know, the dress-up get-up. And I understand that. Listen, people need to make an impression and all that. But, yeah, I love the fact that Florida gives us the opportunity to just be at one with nature a lot more often. Absolutely. It's paradise. It's, it really is. And you're absolutely right. When you see that sun, you're just like, wow, this is awesome. Now, there are a few days when like, we don't see the sun. There'll be like three or four days. And as Floridians, we're just like down and out and gloomy. And then that sun comes back up. Whoo. Whoo. That's exactly just revitalized, right. energized. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's like, this is the Florida I know. And it's like that for three days. But I, I know how it is in upstate New York where Come October, it's just gray for about six to seven long months and snow. That lake effect snow is real and you're just depressed and you're just pissed and there's a lot of negativity and that could that could snowball on you. Like that restriction is real. Like what you just said about 
having like a heavy winter coat on and light cook and say, Oh, we're layers. We're layers. We're down here. T-shirts, sandals, shorts on a daily basis. And when you got to dress up, it's cool, but you also dress up differently than up North up here. We would dress up a little bit looser. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not worried about the tightness to keep the heat in. We have the like loose, looseness, looseness so we can feel the breeze, feel the airflow. Be one with nature, my friend. So you have an artistic side to you. I got to ask, when you hear the words Hall of Famer, what <laughs> comes to your mind? We are sitting here with a Hall of Famer. What Hall of Fame is he in? Tell us, Jay. Well, I am in the Legends of Vinyl DJ's Hall of Fame. Woo! So, hold on a second. I wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> <laughs> we got him with this one. He is a Hall of Famer DJ on the ones and twos. Look at this. Look at this. <sighs> Legends of Vinyl DJ Hall of Fame on the ones and twos. The greatest dance music on earth. DJ. Gale fan. Love it. So, and the funniest thing is that the way that it used to be for me, it was just D-J-A-Y. There was no DJ Gale fan. It was just DJ. DJ. And, uh, yeah, and you know, like everyone has DJ, DJ Mac, DJ this, DJ that. It was just for me, it was just DJ. Simple, man. And uh, yeah, I like simple. You know, Kiss Theory, we discussed that. Kiss Theory is what it's all about. Keep it simple, sweetie. That's Stay it. Simple. But I, I prefer not to. That's it. So music. I'm a, I'm a music connoisseur. I love all different types of music. Talk about, first of all, how did you get into becoming a DJ? Well, we got into it uh, quite by accident. So this goes back to New York. So I was upstate New York, um, December of 77, and they had a blizzard. And I was going from Plattsburgh across the state to Oneonta where I was going to college. And I was coming around the mountain range, and the state troopers were there, and they had the road blocked off. Said couldn't go any further. Snow was getting too bad, and there was a chance of an avalanche. So they made me go the other way around the highway. So I turned around and started going the other way, and then there was barricade over there, and I was stuck up on a mountain for three days under snow. So fortunately, I had a '65 Volkswagen camper van and an old hippie mobile. So it did have a rollaway bed. I did have a propane heater in it. Wow. Did have food, but thank God I had a CB radio. I still have the CB radio to this day, by the way. And um, they found me, dug me out, and I went back to Oneonta. I packed up my stuff, and I said, you know, I've been driving back and forth the last year and a half, visiting my family who moved to Florida when I graduated high school. Anyway, I don't think I'm coming back up here. And I never saw snow again until 1995, actually. And, I was wow. in, and then I've only seen it twice since. And tell you the truth, I don't like wearing layers. No offense to anybody out there. Uh, <laughs> and I don't even like it when we have our cold spells here in Florida, but I put up with a couple of weeks a year. You know I know. How, <laughs> down here in Florida, it's, it's comical, actually. My first year down here, when it was about, I don't know, like 55 degrees, and I was walking around with shorts going, Wow, it's just a really nice fall day. They were like, fall? What are you talking about? It's cold. People are wearing yeah, around. Been here for a while. Winter hat. It's cold, doesn't it? 
Well, that that's me now. Now, now, going into my fourth year in Florida, it's oh man, it's fifty five degrees. It's gonna be cold. Hey, this is I, I, this is terrible. It's not the Florida I signed up for. Got my winter coat on, winter hat. Like I can't deal with this. We gotta turn the heat on. Yeah, we do turn the heat on, and some people make fires actually for that yeah. two, not even like seven day span. And then it just jumps back into the seventies, and everyone's happy yeah, again. Paradise again. So anyway, I came down to Florida, and I arrived on December twenty sixth, nineteen seventy seven. And I'd been vacationing down here. I usually drove down about once every six weeks to see my family. Afro was really expensive back in the 70s. And uh, being the entrepreneur I was back then, <clears throat> I used to put notices around the campus of the weeks that I was going, the weekends. And I would leave on a Thursday, drive back on a Monday. And I would charge people to take the ride with me. Oh, I like that. Uber. That's Uber right there. I guess Uber before it's time, but yeah. uh, it was really cool because yeah, I would make them bring the beer, bring at the time I would bring the weed, bring the beer, bring the food, and let's have a great ride. No doubt. And we stopped was be for the gas on the way down, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I got down here in December twenty sixth, nineteen seventy seven, and uh, went out for a couple nights, going around. First, I got myself enrolled in school down there. I was going to take advertising. Um, in New York, I was studying psychology and political science and just didn't find passion. Advertising seemed pretty cool. And um, got a job waiting at tables at a restaurant just so I could pick up some quick money. And I would go out at night and go visit all the different clubs around. And this one DJ who I'd visit every time I was down vacationing, as I came into his club, it was uh, December 29th at that point. He said, uh, man, I'm so glad you're here. And I said, I'm so glad I'm here too. Where is she? And I thought he was talking about, you know, some hot, you know, there's a hot girl or something by herself and whatever. And uh, no, he says, listen, I got a double ear infection. I go, okay, and you're telling me this, why? He says, because it's two days before New Year's Eve and I can't find anybody to work for me. So I want to train you to be a DJ. And I looked at him and I go, I don't want to be a DJ. And he says, you play the drums, you sing, you've done some radio work in New York. I should be able to show you what to do. I said, well, I don't know all the music that you play in this club. You know, it was a disco. And um, although I knew rock, Motown, blues of the day, I wasn't up on all the new hustle music that came out. You know, I was living upstate New York in the mountains and came down to Florida. Um, so what he did literally is we spent the next 48 hours teaching me about the nuances of spinning records with turntables, not just playing a record and being a human jukebox, but actually creating music. Understanding the synthesis of different records, how you work them together, changing speeds, creating different effects and all that. And so it was literally 48 hours of just being there. Uh, we ate in the DJ booth, passed out in the DJ booth. It was just, he said, I need to get you ready for New Year's Eve. So that night, I'm having a great time. I'm getting paid to spin records, do something for a friend of mine, which I thought was pretty cool. He was paying me some good money that night. And uh, the opportunity to meet women also that night was also a good idea. And about 2.30 in the morning, uh, the club was open until 4. So a whole fresh crew of people start walking in the club. And it winds up people who came from other clubs that was closed at 2 o'clock. Well, John at that point had gone downstairs and gone to the bathroom. He wasn't feeling well. He thought he'd get sick. 
and someone climbs up the ladder to the DJ booth and says, John, man, you sound great. I've never heard you sound like this before. And then he looks at me and goes, who are you? I go, I'm Jay. He goes, well, where's John? I said, well, he's in the bathroom. He says, who's been doing all the mixes? I said, I am. you got to give me a second because I've got to do one right now. So I mixed the next round because John gave me a list of songs to do in a row. And um, he looks at me and goes, so where do you work? And I said, the restaurant down the block during the day, I really haven't found a regular job yet, but just picking up some money. He says, well, what about working in my club tomorrow night? And I go, what? And he literally hired me right on the spot. John came up the stairs and I said, listen, I don't have records and all like that. I'm literally not planning on to do this. So John gave me records to start with. The next day he brought me to a record pool in Fort Lauderdale, introduced me to a bunch of the other DJs there. And... Um, I started having fun, and the funniest thing is the club owner, the first night I started working, got this uh, black poster board, and in big gold letters, he just put D-J-A-Y and put it behind the DJ booth. <laughs> and suffice it to say that I was lucky in the fact that I had good rhythm. I, I'm a drummer. I sang, so I had a good idea of what things were supposed to sound like. Uh, but I also went out there and I wanted to listen to when I wasn't working. I went to listen to all the guys who were supposed to be the best DJs down here. And um, I'm still very good friends with a lot of them to this day. But it was an honor to have these guys who were considered the best show me what they were doing, their style. And as every basketball player, every baseball player, every football player, they may play the same position, but they all do it in their own way. The same thing with a good disc jockey. You have your style, certain people like different rhythms, different sounds, whatever. Uh, you had your straight clubs, your gay clubs, your white clubs, your black clubs, your rock clubs, your discos. And I wanted to learn from it all. And um, within about nine months, I was recognized as one of the top 10 disc jockeys in the South Florida area on a, on a radio sh uh, station called Disco 95. I was very humbled by that. And that made me thirsty, want to even know more. So I would literally pay people to work for me on nights that I knew someone else was going to be working somewhere just so I could hear them play and watch them play. Um, PM Magazine, back in 1983, was a TV show. They did a uh, contest on the, uh, the Battle of the Disc Jockeys in South Florida. Okay. We came in second place um, to a very good friend of mine. And after the show, I found out that one of the judges actually, instead of giving me straight tens across the board on originality, uh, gave me a five. And his reason was I was the only DJ who played 50s, 60s, and Motown music in the middle of my disco set. And what he didn't realize is that one of the things I loved was the fact that I, I love music. And I think that you can create moods in being a DJ. That was our job. Our job wasn't to keep the dance floor packed all the time. Our job was to keep people drinking. And the way you did that was by knowing the subtle times of when to change off to get people to sort of move often on the, uh, often on the dance floor. And so um, anyway, this one judge didn't like what I did. And in the end, he told me it was because of that. And I said, dude, I take these 45-inch records I glue them to 12-inch records so that I can actually use them on my turntable. And he was shocked when I sat there and showed him what I was doing to make those sounds. 
And he says, I didn't realize that. I thought you just put a tape in or something and that's what you're playing for that part of your set. I said, no, everything I did was live. And I like working with three turntables because they create all these different sounds. But I always believed that disco was just dance. And if you can dance to it, it was disco. So back in, that, back in those days, you, had, you know, it was that Saturday Night Fever era. Um, you also had a lot of the rock stars, like Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. Yeah, Miss yeah. By uh, The Stones. Uh, the movie coming out about, you know, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, all right? Their number one selling song for years was Another One Bites the Dust. Well, that was really a dance song. It was also done to the music of uh, uh, Nas and Rogers to uh, Good Times. So it was the exact same bass line as Good Times and We Are Family. So you could lay those over on top of each other. But yeah, I would do some crazy stuff. It was just whatever came to mind at whatever nights. Uh, when I heard something in a song and I could hear another song within a song, I find ways to overlay them. So I got a reputation for my Midnight Madness, which is when at the stroke of midnight every Friday and Saturday night, I would do some way out crazy sets, just throw music at the people and keep them dancing. And People come from other clubs even just to hear that and then go back to the club they were at sometimes. And well, it was this is an interesting journey that you, you, you were on here as a DJ because you kind of – you didn't want to do it at first. You fell into it. What do you think of like the timing? Do you think it's like a universal thing? throwing you a bone because like you got into it and then like you got fully into it. Like You were like, all right, I'm doing this. I'm going to go study other DJs. I'm going to learn. I'm gluing the 12 inch to the 45. I'm, I'm, I'm studying this craft and I'm going to be the best at it. And you became a hall of famer. Well, I think that, um, yeah, I just dove right in. I didn't know any other way to do it. So once I realized I was going to make good money doing it, which I did, um, Oh, that hustle spirit. Yeah. I realized that I was an entrepreneur. First of all, DJs weren't employees of the clubs. We were subcontracted. 1099s. Then again, I also found a lot of the clubs didn't appreciate the DJs until they had someone like me where I came in and you would pack a place, you would generate liquor sales, and that's where the bar made their money. So once I, once I understood that equation, it made it very easy for me to just study the crowd, find out what the crowd wanted, and learn how to control the people through the music. Now, in time, being a hustler, if you want, is what I believe every disc jockey is, because we're all entrepreneurs. Um, I also learned how to leverage my pay. So when I felt that I was at a club and I wasn't getting enough money, I would tell the club manager or the owner that I want to raise. And if they said no, I'd say, fine, well, I'm going to go to that club over there. And just so you know, the crowd's going to follow me. And then when you want me to come back, it's going to cost you that much more. I like that. That might sound a little Negotiating. Negotiations. That was not even negotiating. That was stating a fact. This is what's going to happen. Yeah, you're right. This is what's going to happen. I'm going with it. You you want to pay me something down the block. Pay me now. Otherwise, you're losing money by not just giving – you're losing that much money by not giving me that much money. Well, what would happen that out of the ten times? Would they keep you or they would say, uh, uh, we'll get the next guy? Um, The first time I would leave – 
they would let me go. After that, it was they were trying to negotiate with me. I got you. That's what happens. What was the first record that you uh, played? First record I ever played in the club? Yes. Uh, that's where the happy people go by the tramps. Why that track? Because it was the first one that John gave me. <laughs> what, was what, favorite, what was your favorite? What was your favorite? What was your favorite record? I would say the cool thing about the song was it started off with a very slow intro, almost jazzy. And then it bro- broke into the beat. And the beat was by a drummer. His name is Earl Young. He, uh, Earl is considered the man who, the last great uh, percussion or drum innovator. Uh, there's actually a movie coming out about some of his work. And so if you look at the sound that you heard in the background to the OJs, uh, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, uh, MFSB, the whole sound of Philadelphia, that's his drum beat in the background. And it's that doom, boom, 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 and it's, downbeat on the twos and four so it, it created a rhythm and it's one two three four one two three four one two three four so it's four four beat 32 beats to a measure and what it was is it just made a rhythm it's the same rhythm most rock and roll had just changing up where the bass was coming and where the downbeat was coming and keeping it steady and you learn about beats per minute which is the speed of something yeah so, absolutely. You know, well, simple songs to be like a uh, sexual healing maybe 98 beats per minute oh yeah that's a good one okay then you go something like uh rapper's delight at 112 beats per minute Isn't love that, that song what up another one bites the dust 113 beats per minute good times 114 beats per minute uh we are family uh, 118 moves up to 118. <laughs> Bro, you're 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 a hall of famer. You're throwing off the the, the beat well, counts. I'm, I'm doing this for for a reason, and that's because by studying this, by counting, learning, I was able to take from one song, bring it straight through to the last song, without ever stopping the music. Because on the turntable, the track, he was able to change the speed, change the pitch of what it's playing. And you do it gradually to where it doesn't feel like someone's just going from this to this and then, you know, you make it a gradual change. And by knowing how each song sounds, knowing the bass drive behind it, hearing the beat, knowing the instrumentation, you were able to create this flow that allowed the beat to never stop. What was your favorite record to spin? My favorite record to spin? I can't say I ever had a favorite record. My favorite, my favorite dance song of all time is still, that's where the people go by uh, the tramps. I have uh, Earl Young is actually a friend of mine through Facebook. And I've thanked him multiple times for the fact that by hearing his music in the beginning, I got to understand the entire industry. And I was able to hear it on everything at that point. And I never had a t- favorite type of music to spin either. So I could play the high-end European, I could play the lower-end funk, anything in the middle. It really just determined where the people in the club were, type of people in the club, and where I wanted to bring them for the evening. You and still got it? Do I still got it? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think, a lot of people tell me I do. I have this uh, thing, I haven't entered the new age technology. Um, 
I don't believe it would be that hard for me to pick up. But there's nothing to me. And I have gone in, I've played with them with some of my friends. But there's a different feeling. If you have someone that's been playing a folk guitar their whole life and then jumps to an electric guitar, it's a different feeling. Um, I don't... I don't play guitar, so I really can't say if that's exactly the right analogy. But um, I could do things with vinyl that they can't do with the computers. But that's what you'd have to use. You go back to go back to the tools that you know. There's it's nothing wrong with that. Well, since vinyl is being printed again, actually, it's been growing at a rate of twelve to thirteen percent per year for the last four years now. Sony is now printing vinyl records for the first time in over twenty years. Uh, Techniques is actually making the old DJ's 1200 turntables. Uh, I may one day decide I want to just have some fun and do it. You are going to do it because when Hustle Island decides to have our Hustle Islander party for all the hustlers out there, we've got our DJ Greg. DJJ is coming out of retirement, the Hall of Famer, and he is going to spin on the ones, the twos, and the three. We're going to get three, 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 uh, three, three, three record players for this guy. And he's going to be spinning on the ones and twos. Well, we use turntables, not record Turntables, yeah, I'm sorry. That's what I would say, turntables. My bad. I'm surprised, man. Get, You're too young to players, man. <laughs> I know all about that stuff, man. I'm a music connoisseur. I know about the movie Beach Street. My brother, he, he loved records. I can rattle. We can talk about music all day. I, I, I love all the different types of music, especially the old, old school rock. I, I, I love classic rock. Um, one of my favorite songs is "I the Tiger." I'm a Great karaoke song. guy. I'm a karaoke guy, and that's my go-to. It, you, it's a motivational song. Absolutely, it makes people move. That's, and that's the, really what I did the best was actually make people move. Well, that's so, that's it. And what you were saying, I heard. I love music. I heard. So, I love rock and roll. So I'm thinking every time you're saying something, I'm thinking about a song as you're saying it. <laughs> what do you think about music today? Do you think, think it's, it's it, you think it's great? Yeah. Weren't expecting really? that, huh? <laughs> uh, No, I I no, you wanna know what? I wasn't expecting that. I mean I listen to probably I love Coldplay. Big a huge Jay Z fan. Mm-hmm. Some of the new rap that's out, some of it's pretty good, but it's eh, eh, not not really me. I'm more like old school rap. Big M M&M yeah. fan. Yep. Um that statement about rap, it's funny. Uh, when they had the uh, Legend of Vinyl uh, Hall of Fame inductions, uh, every year they have a panel when they're doing it. And it's done in different cities throughout the United States. And um, that year they had a couple of incredible people in the music industry, and it was about EDM, electric dance music. Okay. And they were talking all about it. And... So afterwards, uh, Bill Kelly was the MC. Bill Kelly is a legendary disc jockey down here. And um, he asked simple questions. Does anyone have any questions for the panel? And it was a lot about you know, EDM, but the evolution of it. And my answer, my question was real simple, and I didn't want to ask it, but then again, nobody was raising their hand. So Bill just looked at me and said, DJ, you've played everything in your time. What is your question about EDM? And my question is, what if it will ever be remembered 10 years from now? And there was silence for a second. I said, let me rephrase my question. Uh, Everyone in this room, we are considered innovators in the dance music field. 
Um, and pretty much that era was 70s and 80s. Mm. Most people in there. And I'm part of what was referred to as the second wave because I started in 77. So I didn't start before the Saturday Night Fever uh, fever pitch hit. John Travolta in the club? like Yeah. I mean, that was, was about off. the same time. Yeah. Okay. But I give respect to the DJs who were playing before they were discos, really. I'm talking about the early 70s to mid-70s. Some of these guys started in the 60s. And I have total, total respect for them. But my, what my question was, was what will we remember about EDM now? And when people sit there and tell me it's all junk today, you know, all these kids, all they play is garbage. Every generation has heard that from the generation before them. I believe you. Okay, so people who listen, you know, who grew up in the 40s, well, the people who grew up in the 30s didn't like the 40s music. People who grew up in the 50s, the people from the 40s didn't like the 40s music. And it's been like that cyclic through generation after generation. In the 60s and 70s, there's a lot of fast change in music, a lot of integration in music. And you had people who were the purists, and then people who just embraced the sounds. And so I said, I remember the, the early 70s were called the years of the one-hit wonders. But haven't there been one-hit wonders throughout history of music? So in general, yeah. look at it. We remember the great music of each era. We forget about the stuff that was garbage or the filler music. And we go forward. So there's so many incredible, incredible artists from Bruno Mars. Uh, oh, yeah. He's a I, superstar. I, I am, I'm hooked on The Voice. And I would say that <laughs> okay. every, every coach on The Voice, every mentor they bring on on The Voice, these are incredible musicians, producers, people who have made it in the field today. And what do they all have in common? Whether it's country, rock and roll, or disco, or funk, or soul, or R&B, whatever it is, one thing they all have in common is they play music that becomes popular. I think it's a, I think it's a love for their craft and a love for music. Like, I'm going to rattle off a few names like I, I come to my mind, like Leonard Skinner, yep. Journey, yep. Kiss, Run DMC, Aerosmith, uh, ACDC, The Beastie Boys, pioneers who changed throw the music Zeppelin industry. Throw Led Zeppelin in there. Did I, did I say that? Is, Led Zeppelin. I'll, everyone loves Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. What's one of the... Phenomenal song. Phenomenal song. You play that right now in a club, and it's going to rock. You can funk to it. You can play that in a funk disco. And you can lay that properly. People will dance their asses off. It's funny, um, something with Led Zeppelin. So back in 1980, 81, I'm working at this club called Pete and Lenny's in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it was featured nationally. Uh, we had um, Dance Fever there with Danny Terrio. Okay. It's pretty cool. So I had him at that club, and then I had him once again years later down in uh, Miami when I was working at Flanagan's Speakeasy. But... Um, so it was part of the new wave era. And of course you have the knack with my Sharona and, you know, whip it by the, you know, by Devo. And of course you have the go-go's and I know that song, whip it, whip it good. 
So I'm playing the Go-Go's vacation, and I go into what I like about you by the Romantics, and everyone, what I like about you, you know that song. Yeah, I and know so that song too. The end of the song goes. The end of the song goes. Hey, hey, hey. And in my mind, I'm hearing this, and I just reach behind me. I grab the Led Zeppelin, put it on, "Living, Loving, Made." Of the second album, second song. I think it was side two, actually. Second song, side two. And so it went, hey, 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 with a purple umbrella and a 50-cent hat. So I do this, and I'm watching the crowd go crazy. Off the corner of my eye, I'm seeing the two owners of the club running towards my DJ booth. Why? What the? are you doing you're playing led zeppelin in the disco it's not and you know their mind was this is like this kind of music only yeah and as they're yelling at me i looked at them i said guys look out there and what they saw were people going insane because these kids who grew up in that generation never heard led zeppelin being a hard rock band all they heard was that being played in the middle of a new wave set. And they were yelling, what is that new wave band, man? They rock. That's awesome. That's innovative, man. That's like you're an innovator. You're rocking the crowd. You're creating positive vibrations. I'm going back to that word positive, yes. which in our everyday life, creating vibrations that you can create within your company and business as people, if you bring in a positive mindset, a positive attitude, a positive mind frame, people will feel that energy. They will get moving. They will be happy. They will be upbeat. And they will want to either be with you, buy from you, or they'll be a friend of yours. Or relate gotta, to you. yep. That's it. That's it. I got to ask, man, how did you find Hustle Island? How did I find Hustle Island? Hustle Island found me. Really? How? Really? Um pop-up ads on Facebook. Okay, when you saw those pop-up ads, what did you do? At first, I just watched them. They interested me. I just watched and see the repetition of it, what was going on. See tons of advertising on Facebook. Saw the advertisement for the t-shirt and said, you know something? I like that shirt, not just because it has the word hustle, but I blew it up on my screen and I could see all the other words in it. Absolutely persistence, belief, you know, just everything that was in there. And I said, there's a cool shirt. And the timing was right because um, we had just launched Earth, uh, Live Green. So we launched Live Green on Earth Day, uh, April 22nd, this past year. We beta tested it for a year. Um, and it just seemed to coincide with everything that I was trying to do. Uh, I had my you know, my, my team, my group, uh, and we talked personal growth and development. We spoke five days a week just to make sure we're all on a good mental track. And I look for tools in life. And one day I took a video of just uh, three squirrels that were playing amongst these two trees. And I played it for them all. And they were like, well, what are you playing it for me? And I'm sitting there going, what are you seeing? I'm seeing three squirrels playing in trees. I said, what else are you seeing? And it was silence with teamwork, guys. Look at what these, these squirrels are doing. Is they're actually working to take their food to put it into a little nest they have there. 
And all of a sudden it was like, wow, so you learn things everywhere. Well, I looked at these hustle sharp. I looked at the patience, I looked at belief, I looked at legacy, and I looked at something that looked like, okay, I want to buy the shirts. Not knowing about the rest of Hustle Island. So the shirts created by my main man, Greg, his inspiration, his uh, aspirations to create a group of like-minded people it's like similar to you being a DJ. He took the word hustle, patience, legacy, believe, mashed up a bunch of words inside of that one word and that vibration and that energy is bringing people into the group. And then once you get into the group, it's like, wow. The group put us together. Yes. Our worlds collided. So my question is actually, it's funny, you mentioned about, you can tell Greg Greg, if you're listening now or you will be listening later. Uh, so the concept of me spinning records when we have Hustle Island together, when we all do have our get-together, I'm wondering are there any other DJs that are in Hustle Island, some of the new school DJs? See, I also ran six mobile units back in the day also. So people, people would pay me to do parties, weddings, whatever the case would be. I couldn't do that if I was in my club, but I can pay someone that I trained to do that. So I pay them a percentage of what I was making. So I was even hustling there. I like that. Yes. That true, that true entrepreneur spirit. So I'm hoping that there's a new school DJ somewhere in Hustle Island who's trying to learn more about entrepreneur, entrepreneurship right now as we speak that may have heard something I said tonight that may lead to him, him or her contacting me to maybe give them some insight on old school versus new school and maybe ways to improve what they're doing. And that's the concept right there of Hustle Island, like just helping each other, being there for each other. Like if there's another DJ in the group, hit us up, hit Jay up and learn from him. Absolutely. He's now, done it. He'll show you the tools. He'll I guide you. Hustle Island has created mentors as people who didn't realize they had it in them so far. I've watched... You know, I've been on a couple of the webinars. Unfortunately, there are the ones that have been when I'm out of networking meeting here in South Florida, and I try to watch the, re uh, the replays of them. But it, as, as you watch them develop, the first thing you'll notice is people who are immediately outgoing are out there to contribute. Uh, when, when I'm on, if Greg's having a problem with tech, I, I know he's going to send me some sort of message to show me what to do, whatever it is, and I'll do whatever I can. Uh, but the answer is that every one of us listens to others. We're there to self-promote. I mean, if there's a single person who's not promoting themselves that is on Hustle Island, they're not hustling what they should be. But the other thing we should be promoting is working as a team. Together, everyone achieves more, T-E-A-M, uh, because there may be a skill that you have that someone else may need or may be able to learn from. Uh, there's a young lady on uh, Hustle Island. Her name is Nayla, and she has a, she and her husband have a deli in North Carolina, and they're on their third year. And for the life of me, plump, I'd have to look at my phone to remember the name of the restaurant. But oh, I was gonna give him a plug. But, do you mind doing it? Let's do it. I'm trying to remember what the name of the restaurant is. So if you give me a second, I will pull that up. But um, we'll do. Uh, what I got to tell you is that 
you know, they had success in the beginning and they're on their third year. And that's usually a break, uh, make it or break it year for Adele. And um, she's having some challenges and she was looking for help on in the group. And come on. I gave her some ideas. And that's awesome. if you wouldn't mind, I'll ask you. Uh, well, that she's in the uh, deli industry, food industry. And uh, Nayla, I mean, throw it out there to the group. What type of help you need? I mean, there's people who are, are really good at marketing. There are people who are good at web design. Um, well, I think we've all been to a deli or two in our time. I mean, I'm from the Northeast. I'm down here in Florida. I can throw you different ideas and uh, promotional ideas that we've seen, food that we've had, like food that's maybe not in your area that they, you can get from New York, Connecticut, and the West Coast that you could bring to North Carolina, you said? Yeah. So the, uh, the concept was bringing a, North, a New York deli to North Carolina. Her husband is from Brooklyn. Okay, nice. So in any case, uh, they had done a bunch of stuff, and the, you know, they weren't getting the success they wanted. And I saw it out there, and I said, you know something? Let me reach out to her. I've been, I was raised in the restaurant industry, in the deli industry. My dad closed the deli in the middle of lunch one day when the – a uh, distributor from Hebrew National Meats came in and told him that he was raising prices. And my dad said, I'm not paying anymore. He just walked into the restaurant and said, hey, lunch is on me today. We're closed. And it was just like that when he realized that was the end of that hustle. But so I told Nayla, is uh, looking through her Facebook page, a couple of the thoughts that I had is the full menu on her page wasn't being shown. And she had sent me the menu. She has so much to offer, but it wasn't being shown where people could see it. Um, she asked me about specials. I said, I do believe in daily specials and coupons, especially on slower days. Uh, you know, it sells daily. Why? Um, why not highlight something else when you have those? One of the things my dad taught me was always ask what else in a positive manner, not, is there anything else you'd like? Just what else to elicit a positive response from the customer? Um, I told him post on a daily basis. Don't overkill it. But at least every day you should be posting the, the specials of the day. Hmm. Uh, ask people to post reviews. Uh, give them some, some, something special for it, maybe a 10% off, comp dessert or something like that. And uh, have people do it right in the restaurant. Have them like you on Facebook. Do a Yelp review while you're with them. Make the clientele that you're bringing in a small-town restaurant, as she called it, your family. And Absolutely. Make I agree with you 100%. Um, the power of video and pictures and now the ability to go live. I mean, it's not easy to go live. I'll be the first to uh, admit that. Um, but Instagram, Facebook, I mean, you can shoot pictures all day just to show people the family atmosphere, the food that you have to offer, people coming in. I mean, that goes a long way. And just a little description of what's going on and when you're open. Some, even something as simple as maybe having – I know it's a deli, but having maybe live music around the holidays, like just bring people in and be like, this is an inviting atmosphere, a family atmosphere. Come on down, get a good bite to eat when you're shopping on Black Friday or doing whatever, just on any other day. Just come in, hey, take a breath and have a good meal. Yeah. And so she's actually taken uh, some of the insights that I had, and there was a lot more conversation between us. That was just one thing I thought I should read here. And she's told me that she's already seen some success from it. That's awesome. And I think it is awesome. I appreciate the fact that 
she took what I said to heart. Um, and I did spend some quality time with her. And it made me feel good knowing the fact that I was able to help someone I've never met, may never meet in person, although if I go to North Carolina, I know where I'm going for a sandwich. You know? That's but, it. And I know that someone in Hustle Island will do, will do the exact same thing for me. You know, you and I had a 10-minute conversation the other night, and instead you invested an hour of your life with me. I know. That, that's what I told Greg. I said, we talked for about like an hour. And I, like I, I was just being a t- t- <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It went a little long, but it's all good. We had a great conversation. I, I enjoyed that. I was just walking around in nature, taking everything in, having a great conversation because it was just great energy, great vibes. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer of just like positive vibes, good vibes equal great opportunities and great things in life look at the uh beach boys good vibrations that's it man that's it going back to that music thing let's go into living green how did you get into this industry how did you adopt this in your life and why okay so live green first of all uh is something that whose time has come most people would rather I guess people polled, if you ask over 50% of the people who say, I want to eat healthy, I want to eat organic if possible. The reality is only 4 to 5% actually do. And the reasoning most people give is one of two. It's too expensive or it's inconvenient. So what if it wasn't? So what if there was, yeah. what if there was a company that, and my 30-second ele- elevated pitch is Live Green, makes eating healthy and living eco-friendly lifestyles affordable. We always have low prices, 20 to 50% in general, lower than Amazon. We always have free shipping with no minimums in our green wholesale market with over 21,000 products that you know and love from seventh generation Avalon Organics, Amy's, The Honest Company, Simply Organics, Frontier, Cliff Bars, Pro Bars, all sorts of bulk and individual items, 21,000 of them. And with every single transaction, Live Green plants a tree. Wow. And that to me is what my life is about, is Mother Earth living living and eating healthy. Uh, We all can go out and have a good time. You don't have to, I, I will never say that there's nothing unhealthy that goes into my body ever. But I also know if I put something in, it goes out pretty quickly because my body's constantly flushing the toxins out of it. Uh, So how did it really start for me? Um, Well, I'm gonna go to the end of my DJ career. Uh, My daughter was born. And um, after my ex left me, my daughter was going to clubs with me on nights because I couldn't get a sitter who's gonna work all night. So I figured take her with me, she can dance and then go to sleep. And I put my headset on her and she'd have a good night. And um, so then I started taking her to a lot of uh, personal growth and development, a lot of speakers. Um, anything that I thought that she would enjoy that would educate her, but not bore her. And I took her to see, you mentioned Les Brown earlier. Uh, I mentioned Connie Bedesta, Zig Ziglar. Um, Mark Victor Hansen, Patricia Fripp, John Gray, uh, Jim Rohn, all the power speakers of the era. Um, being in South Florida, it meant there were a lot of them coming down here doing presentations. And all I would do is take my daughter with me because I wanted to go to them anyway. 
I tell her, just write one note down. Anything you learn the entire day. Aside from that, play on your Playboy, do whatever you want to do. Uh, what are these? Game Boy, not Playboy. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> at right now, man. We got to go there. there. I didn't even catch that one. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think I caught that one. I was like, did he just say? Yeah, I did. Back then, the Playboy Mansion was uh, hopping. Uh, Jay, uh, the West Coast, uh, the Playboy. Uh, continue. All right. We won't go into Playboy, but it was a lot of fun. Working <laughs> around, too. Uh, but, no, I just, uh, you know, I, I got my daughter involved in martial arts uh, to teach her discipline, uh, to keep her in shape, and just to keep the positive mental attitude that I had growing up as well. Uh, listen to Wayne Dyer. So from the time my daughter was three until the time she was six or seven, uh, this was what was going into her mind subconsciously. And I will never forget, I'm here with a friend of mine, actually he's uh, vacationing down here right now, and we're talking about a time when Les, uh, Les Brown was the guest speaker. And he was about maybe 100, 150 people in the room. And with respect to everyone, I usually sat in the back because my daughter was with me and I didn't want her to be a distraction. And she's the only kid in the room. So Les is doing his presentation and he gets to a point where he says, okay, who in this room thinks they're gonna be the most successful person 10 years from now? And of everyone in the room, of course, everyone raises their hand, right? And of course, you have to understand in this room, there are bankers, lawyers, doctors, people of every profession, management, whatever. And people would always ask, why do I bring my daughter with me? And I said, because never could tell what she'll learn. So Les says, okay, 20 years from now, raise your hand if you think you're going to be the most successful person in the room. Of course, yep. So Les goes, okay, let's do something here. I'm going to walk around the room and I am going to take the person who I believe is going to be the most successful person in this room 20 years from now and bring that person up on stage with me. So I want everyone on our system, close your eyes. And let's start walking through the crowds. No, no, no. You got to keep your eyes closed on our system here. We're all professionals. And as he goes through the room walking, all of a sudden, I feel him sort of tap me and whisper, I'm taking Raina with me. And he picks my daughter up, carries her up on stage, and puts her up on a high seat up there. All right, everybody, open your eyes. And this one gentleman, who I won't state his name because I'm still friends with his wife, although he's no longer with us. What the fuck? Why are you bring a Jay's kid up on stage? What kind of joke is this? And Les didn't even battle lash, looks at him and says, sir, this is not a joke. I'm totally serious. I asked who believes they'll be the most successful pe person in the room. Everybody raised their hand. I said, I'm going to bring the person who I thought 20 years from now will be the most successful person. And I brought Rain up on stage. And before you go any further, let me explain to you why. Everyone in this room, you're all professional, men and women. You've been going through your whole life, doing what you're doing, getting what you're getting. And you come to presentations like I'm giving to learn more. However, this young lady here, the first time she saw me, I think it was about four or five years ago, and she's eight at the time. And 
says, Jay, how old was Marina the first time you brought her to see me? I said, like three, four years. Well, I don't really remember whether it was you first or Santana first. And he got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> and um, he says, so, Marina, what do you usually do when you come to these things with your dad? And she says, dad lets me play my, you know, my Game Boy or you know, do whatever I'm doing, maybe schoolwork or something like that. And he says, and what else? He says, daddy makes me write down one thing every time that I want to remember. And he says, do you remember anything you've learned from me through the years? And she goes, yeah, because I like you. And he goes, what do you mean? Well, some of the other people are boring, but you always make me laugh. So that's like that. And this is, remember, out of the mouth of an eight-year-old. He says, tell us a few of the things that you remember that I've told you throughout the years. And she goes, fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Now, all of a sudden, everyone in the room is staring at my daughter that doesn't know her personally from me. Raina, tell me something else. T-E-A-M, together everyone achieves more. That's why I told Daddy that I want to start playing team games as well as just individual sports. Okay. What else? Uh, and she stumbles for a second. And he says, would you say that you, could, you can say a lot of the things that I've done throughout the years with you? She goes, yeah. He says, tell me the one really cool thing you remember. She says, well, there's two. I said, okay, what's the first? She says, uh, that the problem with most people's dreams, goals, and desires is not that they aim too high and miss, but they aim too low and hit. So shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you land among the stars. Powerful. Okay. And I'm looking at my daughter as, as we're doing this, and Les has got this big grin on his face. And she's stumbling a little bit because she's not used to being in front of a crowd, but, you know, she's handling it really well. And he says, okay. Now, what's the, what's the one that you really wanted to say? And she says, I love the joke about the five birds. So, Mac, do you know the riddle about the five birds? I do not. So, can we do it? Let's do it. Okay. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to state a riddle, or I'm going to state a question, and okay. I want you to give me immediately, like the minute I'm done, don't think, just blurt out your answer. And it's math. Okay. Okay? Okay. Simple math. Ready? All right. There are five birds sitting on a wire. Three decide to fly away. How many birds are left sitting on the wire? Two. Good answer. Okay, let's try it again now. There are five birds sitting on a wire. Three decide to fly away. How many birds are left sitting on the wire? Answer. <laughs> Two. Okay. We'll do a visual now. Ready? Okay. Five birds sitting on a wire. Three decide to fly away. How many birds are left sitting on the wire? Two. <laughs> there are five birds sitting on a wire. Okay. Three made a decision to fly away. How many flew away? <laughs> yeah. they made a Come decision. on, man. where I are we going with it? Flew away. Did I? What's that? I never said they flew away. There are five uh, birds sitting on a wire. Three decided to fly away. Oh, uh, five. None flew away. They didn't take action. That's the key. I was going to say, after everything you said, the reason why Les brought your daughter up there is because a kid will just do whatever. They will take that next step. They will take what they learn from someone and do it. It's like a kid learning how to crawl. 
yep. learning how to walk. They just do it. And they fall, but they continue to do it. It's like a kid now. They, they don't, you don't want them to do this, but sometimes they'll walk into a kitchen and they'll put their hand on a hot stove. Yep. Because they're like fearless. And they're just trying something new. And they're like, oh, what's that? They're experimenting. Like, all right, let me try it. And they will act. Action is the key, my friend. It is. So take your basketball team. Okay. Okay. And I did, I did that same riddle, actually, with the girls and boys that I coached volleyball for years. Okay. I'm saying every, every, time tell me, every time they tell me what they're trying to do, I, let's talk about Michael Jordan. Okay. Michael Jordan tried to be the greatest he could be. And was the greatest, greatest he could be. Could he have been better? We'll never know. However, Michael Jordan, considered the greatest basketball player of all time by many, missed more shots than he made. Yeah, he's always willing to take it. He wanted to take it. He wanted to take it. Okay. How many times did he go up to slam the ball and maybe miss, maybe hit rim and it bounced out? Maybe whatever. <laughs> Countless times. Did he ever care? He was still doing it again, right? Fearless. So did he ever think about doing it? No, he just did it. Because he practiced it. Yes. So there are five birds sitting on a wire and three decided to fly away. That doesn't mean that they actually flew. They just made a decision. Yes, it. It is the action. So I'd be interested if you throw that at your kids. <laughs> I like that one. I do like that one. That's a good one. You got me on that one. You stumped get, me. Get, get them to sit there and understand that the difference between trying and taking action is one thought process. How many times do we try? We sit there and say, I'll try to do this. And I'll say, why try? Well, what do you mean? I said, there is no try. Yeah, there is no trying. You just do it. Do you it. Can do and succeed. You can do and fail. But trying is the mental process of it. You haven't done anything. That is the like the hardest thing though for anyone, even us hustlers in Hustle Island. Acting, you say, "All right, I want to start a business." All right, next step, you got to come up with a business plan. Next step, you might have to go and call some investors. You might have to take a meeting. You and you have to be able to accept a no. And when you hear that no, will you go again? Will you keep going up to take that shot like Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson? Well, that is hard. It's not easy, but you got to practice. Like I said in the beginning of our conversation, being willing to fail. It's huge. Failure is the foundation for future success. They say Thomas Edison failed, what, 9,999 times until he got the light bulb invented? And when asked, he said that there were no failures. Each one was just learning a step on how Absolutely. not to make it before he got to do how, how to make it. So getting back to the Live Green, it actually started with my personal growth and development because uh, I would take my daughter to these meetings. And sometimes I'd take them to Atlanta or Texas or New York or wherever, uh, if especially if it was a speaker she'd seen before and that she related to. So, you know, Mark Victor Hansen, the author of Chicken Soup of the Soul, also took her on stage a couple of times. And it was because they watched this young girl grow up with a different paradigm in her mind. And all I wanted for my daughter was positivity. Well, sitting on the other side of her quite often was one of my two friends, uh, one who's with me right now, Steve Melia, uh, and the other one, Tom Wood. 
Tom and I worked together. We marketed together with Steve as well. Uh, we were all with a company called TPN, the People's Network, uh, back in the mid-90s. And it was a network marketing company, uh, but it was also a television network, 24-7 Success Motivation TV. Can you imagine having a station with Les Brown, Jim Rohn, Mark Victor Hansen, Zig Ziglar, Patricia Fripp, Connie Podesta, David D'Archangelo, John Gray, uh, you name it, just speaker after speaker after speaker, 24-7. The only commercials were for products the company was selling, health-related commercials, uh, health-related products, or the audio books and tapes and CDs. Wow. That was what it was 24-7. It was only available through Prime Star Satellite. Wow. $30 a month. So I can only imagine if there's a channel like that nowadays. You, you can't, you're not finding something like that. Where? No, there is one. Where? There's one that actually helped put that company out of business. It's called YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And, you, so, and we all have the option of picking what we want to watch. Yeah. So that, that company was an incredible concept. Um, I did well with it when it came to marketing. Um, I had a little bit of an unfair advantage in that I owned a store called The Digital Future. So I actually sold Prime Star at the time also. So it was very cool to in, 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 integrate TPN into my store. And then they also had uh, um, internet. At that time, it was 28.8, eventually to 33.6 and 52. Um, but it was all about the message of making things better, personal growth and development for everybody of all ages. And they had from the best writers about business, personal, uh, spiritual, raising kids and babies, whatever. That was 24-7. And it was $30 a month. So when DirecTV bought Prime Star, they didn't agree with the channel being on there. And uh, it was integrated into another company at the time. And uh, we all went on our merry ways. Wow. And um, I didn't see Tom for years. I knew of him, watched his successes through Facebook and all that. Um, and then I, through the years, I tried one company after another, but I hadn't found a company that I really felt had the integrity and a product that I really, really believed in to go forward strongly all out. And when I say a product I believed in, there are some great products that people have out there. And we have some hustlers with hustling shirts. We have uh, them hustling garage door openers. We have them hustling their own businesses, personal growth development. Some we have some great speakers, motivational people. Uh, we have people from multiple different uh, network marketing and multi-level marketing companies, uh, restaurant owners, uh, every walk of life so far that I've seen coming into Hustle Island, which is great because that means we have a United Nations of people all helping to help each other, which I am thankful to Greg that he spoke to you about me to start with and that you decided to get to know a little bit more about me. And we've developed an incredible friendship. I do intend on coming up and checking out one of the games, by the way. 
Oh, that's awesome. We're going to be down that way. I got to send you the schedule. I got to get that out there to everyone so we can uh, definitely link up for sure. I think it would be cool to maybe even have a Hustle Island uh, night at one of the games. That would be really cool. Yeah, we might be to do that. We might be to organize. We're see we're organizing things here for Greg. We we have a Hustle Island party. Yeah, we have a Hustle Island get together at a basketball game. We just got to continue to do this. Continue to build the group. Jay, we've been going for about an hour and a half now. Have we? I, I don't want this conversation to come to an end. So we're going to do this. We're going to end this one, but we're going to come back and do. A, it's going to be part two. Okay. I want you to teach us about living green because. There's more to this. There's there's more to living this lifestyle, the diet, the products, marketing, business. You have a really good story, family life, that you can share some of your experiences with the hustlers. So we're going to come back and we're going to do a part two. As we discussed originally, it was like, okay, I do want to tell people about Live Green. We're new. And we're there and we're we're a disrupting force in in an industry that – we all know nobody wants to spend their whole paycheck at Whole Foods, but it's pretty much the other op- it's the best option for most people. So we're making a difference. Planting trees, we're making a difference. To have a company that launched on Earth Day, April 22nd, on June 5th, be invited to be guests of the United Nations on World Environment Day, because of what we're doing. In fact, we've already put 60,000 trees plus in the ground, and our goal is to put 20 million trees in the ground by 2020. I do want to be able to touch on that. I do want to be touched about the philosophy of it. And I was just about to say, so A, Tom Wood was one of those two people who used to sit with me and my daughter. Okay. And Steve Mealy, who's my house guest right now, is him and Mary Beth Langana. Just finished an incredible year. Uh, For those of you who are on Facebook, Instagram, look up the 162 crew, and you'll hear about dedication of two people who went to every single New York Yankee game home and away, when they're on dime, with their dog who's here with me right now, uh, <laughs> in tow. That's dedication. And that was also because we had a program where those of us who were friends, and we all posted on Facebook, we bid per home run for the Yankees. So we put a bid into no matter how many home runs they hit, we're going to bid a certain amount of money. And uh, because CC Sabathia's number is 52, and because my birthday is 413, I multiply 4 and 13, that's 52. I bid 52 cents a home run. The Yankees did break the record this year uh, for home runs, which is a great thing because there's money going to four separate charities, two for cancer. Uh, it was the Sloan Kettering Institute. Um, I can't remember the second one, but there's an uh, orphanage in Guatemala and then the Fallen Firemen's Funds. So they went across the country promoting this charity. So total strangers would be signing up to do this. And it was really a powerful thing. So that's how Steve and I recaptured each other's friendship. We hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Well, Tom had met this gentleman. His name is Pat Welsh, who was also an incredible networker through the years, helped create many, many millionaires. And eight years ago, they met, in a fa- they met at a party. Now, I'd worked with Pat with another company 10 years ago. So I worked with Tom 20 years ago. I worked with Pat 10 years ago. The two of them met eight years ago started formulating a concept when they were at a party out in California and that concept wound up being live green. So I do appreciate the opportunity to tell the rest of that story also, but you're right. Things happen as we discussed for a reason. We'll never know what the reason is, but uh, for the fact that the two of them 
had known each, met each other eight years ago. I'm the only person in the company who can sit there and say, I knew them both. And they're great people to work with and they care. And they understand me. And I understand them. And we all have a belief that we can make this earth better through personal growth and development, through cleaner living, through live green. It's not just the name of a company, not just the way you eat, but the way you live your life. It's a lifestyle. Where can people find information about Live Green? Um, my website would be great. So landing page we have, uh, which Greg feels that we need to update and change a little bit. I will let you know that. Uh, but it's www.trylivegreen.life forward slash peace. So trylivegreen.life forward slash peace. Uh, and I use peace because that's what I'm all about. Uh, I'm all about the peace. My Hebrew name is Shalom Melech, which means King of Peace. My parents named me that. I believe there's a reason for that. And uh, I like to live my, my life in peace and live green. So it's all about the positive. It's all about the hustle. It's all about the peace. I love it. I love green. the spirit. I love the concept. I love living green. I love thinking positive. I'm looking forward to part two. So am I. That's coming up soon. Part two. Peace. Real hustlers, real stories. Hey, guys, you know where to find us, hustleisland.com. Part two will be coming next of episode seven, which will turn into episode eight. Jay, thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to get together really soon to uh, get part two out there to everyone, but I do appreciate your time. Live green. Think green. Think positive, everyone. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you, Jay. Thanks, Matt.